The Gospel of Luke, starting in chapter 23, we should be wrapping Luke up today. Uh, in, in the beginning of 23, uh, we see the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. So Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate after the Jews had kind of finished with him and decided that he needed to die. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answers and says, It is as you say. Then Pilate says to the chief priest, I find no guilt in this man. But they would have none of that. They keep you know, insisting, stirring up the people. Teach. He says that, Jesus is stirring up the people, teaching all of Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. And so Pilate hears, Galilee, huh? Is he a Galilean? And he finds out that he is, and so he realizes that he belongs in Herod's jurisdiction. Pilate, as we've discussed before, doesn't want to condemn the man, but he also doesn't want the chief priest to rile up all the people against him. He just wants peace and quiet, and as soon he sees this as his escape. So he sends him to Herod to let Herod make the decision and have Herod, you know, have that be his problem. And Herod just happens to be in Jerusalem at the time. So then they take Jesus to Herod. And Herod was happy to see Jesus because he had heard a lot about him. He had been wanting to see him and, and see if he would kind of perform some kind of miracle or something so that he could see it. So he starts questioning Jesus a bunch of different ways, and Jesus will not speak to him. Meanwhile, the chief priests and scribes are continuing to accuse him of things, and Herod finally has enough with him. They're, he and his soldiers are mocking them. They dressed him in a gorgeous robe. They sent him back to Pilate. Now, Herod and Pilate became friends with one another. He just, again, Luke likes to tell us a lot of detail. And so here we find out that uh, from then on, Herod and Pilate actually become friends. They had been enemies with each other before that. It's not particularly important to us, but Luke just fills his, his account with many details. So Jesus is in front of Pilate again. Pilate summons the chief priests and rulers and the people and says, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. Remember, since Jesus is to be the Passover lamb, or in our case, he is the Passover lamb. In this case, he was about to be the Passover lamb. Um, that it was important in the law of Moses, that the Passover lamb be a perfect lamb that be inspected for four days to make sure it was perfect, had to be declared perfect, and then it could be killed and eaten and the blood would be the salvation of the family. Um, well, you see they're doing that. He's, he, Jesus spent this four days in Jerusalem and they're examining him carefully. You have... You have the Jews examined him. The, the, uh, of course, they, in their minds, they find fault. But, of course, they're representing the old system that he was overturning. But the uh, neutral parties here, both Pilate and Herod, found no fault in him. So they found him to indeed be perfect. And so you see how he's fulfilling the law of Moses. And so, uh, you know, he says, no, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. He says, there's no guilt in this man. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now, he was obliged to release, the, his tradition was to release a prisoner on, on this particular holiday. But they cried out all together, saying, away with this man and release for us Barabbas. 
and Barbas was there. He was uh, he was in jail for murder. He was a zealot, so zealots fought against Rome for for freedom and independence, and so they're they're crying out, "Let him be freed." Pilate wanted to release Jesus, so he addressed them again, but they kept calling out, "Crucify! Crucify him!" And he said to them a third time, "Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding this death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him." But they were insistent and loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail, and Pilate pronounced sentence that their demands be granted, and he released the man they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. So again, Barabbas is a picture of, uh, of the guilty man walking free. Well, and if you go back, again, Jesus, Jesus fulfilled all of the law. So if you go back and read the law carefully, you can see this all points towards Jesus, either in the past or in the future, through a people. But when you look at the scapegoats and uh, the how the uh, the guilty one won't go free, and then one would be executed, so this guilty one's going free. So he's fulfilling the law, but he's also a picture of us. We deserve to be on that cross, but Jesus went there for us instead. And so he's um, and he released the man they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And again, like almost everything Jesus said, he's quoting the Old Testament. And so he's saying, even in this, and you can see in the pictures when he's being judged, Luke doesn't make it as obvious as some of the others, and I I think I talked about it in Matthew, maybe Mark, that... um, even while he's being judged, he recognized that he is the judge. He he turns the thing, the judgment back on Pilate who's judging him and says, uh, your sin is not as great as those who handed it over to me. So he knows who he is in the spirit and he's not concerned about the very real uh, pain he's going through and the very real danger that he's in. He knows how that's going to go. But he is living in the spirit, and so he is able to overcome and supersede these realities that he's going through and pray and bless and teach the other people who are still very much in their flesh. And we're all called to this life, to live according to this spirit, to enter into this kingdom, that we live according to his life and his ways, not of the ways of the world around us. Jesus didn't do this just so we could be saved. He did this so that we could enter the same life with him. And there's two other men also um, that are going to be crucified with him as well, and they are criminals. And they came to the place called the Skull, or Golgotha. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So again, as he's being... Uh, crucified for them 
he's he's uh, obviously he feels the pain like I can't imagine how painful that is but he's not stuck in that pain he's not stuck in his present circumstances he's he's living the life of the spirit and he, even though he hasn't yet overcome everything um, as far as uh, you know he hasn't gone down taken the keys and everything it's that's about to happen um, but he's still he's living the life of the spirit the kingdom is in him and he's praying the father's heart for them even now and so they fulfill the scriptures again by casting lots dividing up his garments among themselves and the people stood by looking on and even the rulers were sneering at him saying he saved others let him save himself if this is the Christ of God his chosen one he should be able to save himself right and of course well, he did, just not the way they thought. The soldiers were also mocking him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Because there was a sign up above his, uh, uh, his cross that said, this is the king of the Jews in three different languages. And so they were mocking him with that. One of the criminals was hanging there, was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him and said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. You see, he's, he's repented there. He said, Look, we deserve this, but Jesus doesn't. And, and he, he, you know, asked Jesus, bless me, help me to come into your kingdom. And Jesus grants it. It was now about the sixth hour, which would be about noon. And darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. So until about three o'clock. Because the sun was obscured. So something, some people think it was like a, um, um, uh, like a meteor that was in in between, or you know, an, an obvious thing would be really dark clouds come over all of a sudden. I don't know what happened, but something happened to make it very dark. Uh, it was now about okay. I already read that. The sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. So we know that Jesus tore the veil for us, so that we are able to enter the holy of holies if we give our life to Jesus and are raised up in Christ. We are able to enter that. And so we see in the physical world, I mean, he's not even close to there, but the, but the earthquake shook everything and it actually tore the veil of the temple in two, signifying to everyone who had eyes to see that Jesus was overcoming the world for all of us. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. So the centurion, you know, he's just kind of a, a neutral bystander. He sees everything that happens, and he said, No, that's something I've never seen a lot of people put on crosses, but I've never seen all of nature react. That was certainly something from God. We, we see uh, 
in other versions, um, he, he knows quite clearly it's from God. Here he just says, obviously, this man is innocent. And, and so it was mostly just the women, the women and John, that observed this. All the other disciples had just run scared. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, so he's a Pharisee, a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. So that Sabbath, see, that throws a lot of people off, and they think that that means it's the normal weekly Sabbath. But that Sabbath was the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread, which, if you read the Law of Moses, is a set-apart day, a Sabbath. And so the preparation day is Passover, and that's a day to prepare for the Sabbath and to have the... um, the Passover lamb. And so Jesus was the Passover lamb killed before the sun goes down so that it was a proper Passover lamb, that he was a proper Passover lamb. And and then, of course, they wanted to have him down before the Sabbath began, which was, again, the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it was a Thursday because Jesus himself said he would be in the ground three days and three nights. So that's Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So when this after the sun went down Saturday and it became, according to the biblical calendar, Sunday, which we would call Saturday night, he rose again. He was seen early the next morning before the light. Just, I know I've gone over that many times, but if just it sometimes helps to hear that a few times to get that in your head because most commonly Christians like to think, that he died on a Friday. If he died on a Friday, a good Friday, then he was a wrong when he told everyone that he would be in the earth three days and three nights. I don't believe Jesus was wrong. And therefore, you can figure it out that it was a Wednesday that he died. The Sabbath that he talks about here was a Thursday, the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Sabbath that it talks about elsewhere, I don't remember if it's later in Luke, I think it's maybe Mark or a different one. Um, it talks about do, the women doing something before the Sabbath. That's the Friday. And then the Saturday, the, talk, the Sabbath they're talking about there is the normal weekly Sabbath. And then when it says that they, um, Mary waited until after the Sabbath to go visit the tomb, that's that Saturday, and then she visits the tomb early on a Sunday. We know he rose on a Sunday, which would have been a Feast of First Fruits, which would have been the first Sunday during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So all the scriptures, you can't, they can't all be right unless that is the timeline. Otherwise, you have to assume the scriptures are wrong in one of those ways or another. I just mentioned all the times the Sabbaths are mentioned in the Gospels. They're mentioned right here, before the Sabbath. They're mentioned um, preparing the ointments and stuff before the Sabbath. And they're mentioned Mary going after the Sabbath. You can't have all, all those be correct if it was a Friday death. But they can all be correct if you understand the first day of unleavened bread was a Thursday, and the, that was a Sabbath, and then the Saturday, like always, was the Sabbath, 
and there was one day in between. So maybe more than anyone wanted to hear, but just it helped. I had to go through that multiple times before I got it all. So um, I've gone through it multiple times in these recordings. So hopefully you've got it all as well. And then you'll know the timeline that happened on that week. Let's move on to the last chapter, 24. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. So first day of the week is Sunday. And so they come uh, at early dawn, which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find Jesus. So Jesus had risen from the dead sometime before the early dawn, I think that word, if you look at the Greek, it actually implies the sun wasn't even up yet. Um, and, and so we know that before the sun, sometime before the sun came up, which again, if Jesus was accurate, it was actually what we would call Saturday night that he rose from the dead. If it was truly three days and three nights, like Jesus said, then he rose and we don't know what he did. Spent some time praying with the Lord. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. But... He would have risen um, Saturday night before it would be four nights, right? Um, but the first time anyone comes to see, it is, while it's still dark, on some, what we would call Sunday morning. Well, they would all, everyone would call it Sunday, first day of the week. And so that's, again, finishing up the timeline talk, and I'm done with that. But they're perplexed. Um, behold, two men are standing there in dazzling clothing. That implies something kind of unnatural about this. The women were terrified, bowed their faces to the ground. And men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And so it was Mary Magdalene, it was Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, were the women there. Also other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Um, and then the, the men thought that they were kind of ridiculous. It, and we're talking about he, he's not in his tomb. Of course he's in his tomb. They just didn't believe him. And so, but I guess they believed him enough to go check it out because Peter ran, runs there. We know John was with him. Luke doesn't mention that, but he says he saw the linen wrappings and he went away to his home marveling at what he'd seen. And then it jumps to a story that Luke is the only one to capture. It's called The Road to Emmaus. And two men are walking uh, down to a village called Emmaus. It's seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking about everything that had just happened. You know, they'd been disciples. They weren't one of the 12 disciples, but they were disciples of Jesus. And so they believed he was the Messiah, and they just saw him get killed. And so, you know, their whole world has been flipped upside down a couple times. First, thinking that they've discovered the Messiah, and then second, because the Messiah died. So what now? I mean, you know, they... It's not like they're all of a sudden going to think they were wrong because they saw all these miracles. I mean, they, they just can't figure out what's going on. So they're talking about it and they're, they're upset. And so Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But they couldn't see. I, I assume he looked different once he had risen from the dead. Because often people would see him and not really understand. So either he or the father is sort of veiling their eyes so that they can't perceive you know they can see but they can't perceive or what I think is his risen body he just kind of looked different who knows but anyways they're they're walking all this way and they're talking to him but they don't know it's Jesus 
And he says to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And so, because they were really sad, and they, you know, they stood still, one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? <laughs> He's like, where have you been, man? <laughs> this is like a big deal. What, what do you mean? You don't even know what we're talking about? He says to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. So see, they were hoping he was the Messiah, but they just didn't understand, like, all God said. It's, it's a common thing, and we have to check ourselves to see in which ways we're doing this. And be open in the days ahead. God is going to do many things, and they will in many ways fulfill Scripture, and we will not have been prepared for it because we got hold of some religion that seemed to make sense based on certain scriptures, but really wasn't the truth of God, that I'm ready for this, so I hope you are. You know, be open to the way God is going to do things that might be different than you expect, because these guys weren't yet. They were, not that it hurt them necessarily, because Jesus came and explains it to them, but they, they had a feeling he was a Messiah, but in their mind, the Messiah should kick the Romans out and be place himself on the throne and be king for them. That's who they thought the Messiah should be. And he starts to explain that he's the Messiah is far more than that. And so, uh, anyways, they continue on. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. So he just starts breaking down all the scriptures, how it all points to him, much as we've just done over the last nine months. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening. The day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And he was reclining at the table with them, and he starts to break bread and bless it. And he begins giving it to them, and all of a sudden their eyes are open, and they can see, This is Jesus! Whoa! And then he vanishes. He's gone. So they say to each other, were not our hearts burning with us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? So they start to realize that they were having an encounter without realizing it. They were so alive in the Lord as he was breaking down the scriptures, but they hadn't realized it was the Lord Jesus himself teaching them until he broke the bread, and then they saw. And so they got up, and they immediately returned to Jerusalem. They're like, we got to tell everybody about this. So they went back to the 11 disciples or uh you know, the 11 main disciples, the ones that would be the apostles that were left. And he says to them, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And so while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. He popped into the room. So uh, it's funny. I heard somebody say recently with all the shutdowns, they're just preparing us for more and more shutdowns. And so I, I don't know. You know, it, I, obviously I can see there's plans to, 
to do this by some, and I don't know if they'll get hold of enough power to truly shut us down and not let us move around. I I just don't know. I don't have an opinion. But um, but if that were the case, God is perfectly capable of moving us anywhere on the planet He wants us to be, uh, if we're living according to His will. And so, because you see, He did that with Jesus right here. I've heard, I've heard of others that this happening. I've certainly never experienced that. That would be pretty awesome. But um, I heard a story years ago of a guy who um, he knew the Lord told him to go to Japan, but he didn't have a plane ticket. And uh, so he thought, well, okay, I need to be faithful. The Lord said to do this. So probably when I'm in line, somebody will come and give him the money for a plane ticket. So he got in the line. He went, you know, worked his way up to the front of the line. Still nobody's giving him money for a plane ticket, so he gets back in the back of the line. <laughs> he does it again, does this probably a couple times, and finally he's like, ah, man, I don't know, Lord, how much let's get to Japan? He goes to the bathroom, and when he comes out of the stall, he starts looking, he's, you know, he's walking into the airport, and he's looking around confused. Um, where am I? He realizes he's in Japan. So... You know, I, I, I heard that story third hand or second hand, but uh, um, anyways, all that to say, if scary things happen in the world and it looks like God's plans can never be fulfilled because of what the world is doing, have faith. God can do anything far above what we can even imagine. So back to the story. Jesus has popped into the room. He says, peace be to you. And everyone's startled and frightened because they, they thought he was a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Van Hill's favorite line. They gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. So he's showing them, look, I'm real. I'm actually eating. I'm not just some spirit that can't eat. I'm, I'm real flesh and blood here. But also, he's obviously far more than flesh and blood because he had the ability to pop into the room to you know, teleport, transmute, whatever word you want to use for that. So he's, he's something more. He's, you know, he's, yes, he's flesh and blood, and yet he's far more than flesh and blood now. And he explains to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he says, I explained all this to you before it happened. I am fulfilling the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. They all spoke about me. They all explained these things. And I explained these things to you. You just didn't want to hear. But now that they're happened... You can come back and think about what I've told you. He, you know, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to remind them. And I'm sure in some ways he's even probably, he, he, he well, it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He, he probably went through some scriptures with them and said, look, this had to happen. So he says, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And their repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he says, stay here. The Holy Spirit's going to come and fill you. That's, of course, on 
Pentecost or Shavuot, depending on which language you prefer, Greek or Hebrew. Or uh, we could, it's called the Feast of Weeks in English. And so, again, because that high holiday had to be fulfilled, just as we're now in the high holiday seasons, we just passed uh, Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets. Um, now, next, let's see, I'm, I'm doing this on a Sunday. That means it'll be, on a mo- it'll be public on a Monday. The following Monday will be um, Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement, the, uh, the kind of the holiest day of the year, perhaps the day that Jesus will do the final judgment of everybody. Um, and so that that is coming up. And then after that, uh, I think about five days after that, we'll have the week-long uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And so I'm sure I'll probably bring that up as we get closer. But um, these high holy days will be fulfilled just as exactly as Jesus fulfilled the spring high holy days. And this is considered the holiest time of the year. It's because the latter rain will be greater than the early rains. The latter house will be greater than the early house, speaking about the temple. That we are to be the temple of God filled with God. All of his glory, all of his wisdom, all of his love, and all of his truth. He will have a people that completes his purpose just as he has always planned. Just as long as he has a people that give himself fully to what he is doing, what he has always said he will do. So this was the beginning, just as we've read, and we'll read more about it as in the days, weeks, and months ahead. But uh, but even then, there was always talk of a greater fulfillment, and we are blessed to live in this time. But we can't miss it. We can't be a part of what the world is doing and miss what God is doing. And the scriptures just, you know, kind of wrap up here with... Him taking him out of the city a little bit. He goes to Bethany. He lifts up his hands and blesses them. While he blesses them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. When we realize the glory of God, there's nothing more amazing than simply worshiping him. And that is a doorway into more and more of him. Lord, I pray your blessing upon all of us in this high holy season that we seek you and your kingdom, that we seek more of your spirit, more of your life, that we truly do enter your kingdom, Lord. Not just know about it, not just see it, but enter in, Lord. Bless us and lead everyone here listening to these words that we live the life you have planned for us. We thank you, Jesus. And that's it for Luke. We'll start John next. God bless you.